Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cooper. And today on Review the Future, we are discussing the anthology TV series, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about episode four, which is called Crazy Diamond. That's right. This episode is uh, directed by... Mark Munden, who is a British TV director, he did a Utopia. It's written by Tony Grissoni, who is the guy who wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Well, and this has a, a trippy feel to it, uh, much like that movie. Oh, and it stars Steve Buscemi. He's such a weird face. I love it. So uh, we're also going to try out a little bit more of a structured review format today. We're going to start off the episode with our very quick, if possible, if we can be brief. As quick as we can do. A, a sort of spoiler-free description of what this thing is. Uh, then we're going to move on to the, the heart of the episode, which is going to be just sort of free-form discussion topics that arise from watching this, which may stray pretty far from the plot, because we're just going to talk about whatever is interesting or relevant to us. And at the end, we'll give it some kind of grade or recommendation. You know, did we like this thing or not? And we're going to... You know, spend as long as it takes to get through those three parts, which means uh, some of these reviews may be short, some of them may be long, therefore some of our episodes may be shorter or longer than usual, and we're just going to kind of let things be as long as they want to be. So, uh, Steve Buscemi is the main character of this. Right. And uh, he has kind of a strange job. Do you want to explain that, Ted? Sure. So, yeah, the guy who's the main character works at what I would call is like a factory basically or it's i guess they call it like a mill and it's a place where they make these sort of genetic hybrid humanoid things they're called chimeric fusions in the story and what they appear to be is a combination of human and pig genetic material used to create a sort of purpose-built humanoid slave thing human and porcine DNA. Yes. And then apparently the way that they are making these things with the pig DNA, and this isn't clearly explained in the thing, they are apparently lacking consciousness or uh, animus or a soul or something like that. And in this world, and this is one of my favorite things about it, they have a technological solution for that. They have something called quantum consciousnesses, which are these little like, they look like a vacuum tube with like a lava lamp inside them kind of uh that's the soul that's like a, a soul that's been like sort of built from human and and pig uh sources and when you inject one of these into someone's brain with like an air gun <laughs> basically these blank uh, genetically engineered bodies become full human equivalent beings or at least that's the demonstration that we get in the first couple of minutes of the uh, of the show itself yeah, and if that sounds really weird, that's because it is, but uh-huh. uh, but it's somewhat important to what we're going to talk about. Well, um, well, and I just want to mention one other thing, which is that in this world, some people who are derived of, of pigs in this way kind of seem to look pig-like, like they have porcine features, but they're humanoid, and then others do not. And, and uh, right at the beginning, somebody kind of like outs himself as a a jack they call the male pig people jacks and the female pig people jills and uh it's a shock to everyone in the little tour group that he's leading so it, it, the idea is that you know they can make them with varying amounts of pig dna i guess so that you can either tell or not tell that they are pig derived we meet a 60 percent uh pig person that right. looks very much like a pig like uh, she has like a muppet face it's very cool yeah yeah um now as far as 
Well, I, I guess part of setting the stage of the world, too, is that uh, there's this theme of decay. So literally every aspect of the world seems to be falling apart. Right. Uh, the main character lives in a house that is like on the edge of the ocean and like erosion is about to pull it into the sea. Right. You see a wide shot where like the roads are leading right up to the cliff. So like clearly there was a road there yesterday and, you know, it eroded away. And then there's even like a an erosion earthquake like in the story right things start falling yes i think ocean, it like during the story yeah and yeah. then uh also symptomatic of that food products are expiring very rapidly and this ties directly into the plot because steve buscemi as the main character meets a jill one of these people with a very small amount of pig dna right that's like an underclass uh in this world um, he meets her and she is also in the process of decay, much like sort of if you think of the uh, the, the replicants in Blade Runner, another yes. Philip K. Dick based uh, property. She doesn't have long to live unless she gets a new quantum consciousness. Right. Specifically, her quantum consciousness is like running out. So it's not her body that's failing. If she gets another one, she can continue to live. Now, she seems to have a job. I believe she sells insurance, but she doesn't seem to have a lot of means, uh, certainly not to buy one of these things. So the, the main plot revolves around her trying to convince uh, Steve Buscemi to help her in basically performing a heist of some of the quantum consciousnesses from where he works so that she can, in particular, get one for herself to keep herself alive. Right. Her plan is to get one for herself and then sell the rest for money, basically, because uh, this would make her a fugitive. Um, and the whole thing has a kind of noir feel which is similar to uh, movies like Double Indemnity, which is literally said those words in the script several times. And it's also a little bit like uh, Postman Always Rings Twice. Similar similar plot, another good movie of that era. And so she sort of sucks him into this scheme uh, by seducing him. And he's also got a wife named Sally. So he keeps sort of wavering back and forth between, is he going to help her? Is he going to run away with this Jill? Uh, and their ill-gotten gains and sail away on his boat that he fantasizes about sailing away from this uh, eroding world in? Or is he going to like stick with his wife and stick with his boring job and try to make it work? I guess it's a midlife crisis it's, story at the end is. of the day, basically. It's big time. Yeah, he's got this boat and he's yeah. got a young girlfriend, you know? But anyway, that's the basic outline so now uh if you want to watch the thing go ahead and watch it now turn off the podcast because i can't guarantee we won't spoil things from here on out although the focus now is really not going to be on the plot of this thing it's going to be on the what, questions it raises. yeah what questions does it raise now on the surface this is not our typical material right because this is not super speculative um obviously this whole notion of quantum consciousness being shot into your head with an air gun is a little bit silly and a lot of this i think is intended to be more metaphorical yeah. than um, literal. But still, I think there's like a couple things we can pull out of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that really attracted me about it right away was the just the basic idea of genetically engineering people on purpose in a, in a factory environment, you know, and this, the circumstances under which that might happen um, in, in reality. Uh, the way it's depicted in this world, it's very hard to understand how Jackson Jills came about. They never really tell you. But you do get the sense that they used to not have consciousnesses. So at, at some point, they started making these Jackson Jills, and they were not human equivalent, right? Yeah, let's, let's even just talk about that issue, right? Because that is something... We don't see this dramatized exactly in the show, so we don't know what uh, this looks like in this particular world. But this is always an interesting question, is like, can you make something that 
walks around and has skills and is intelligent, which is what they claim in this. Right. In they the, say it has emotions and intelligence, but it just lacks things like metacognition. And it lacks empathy. Self-awareness. They say empathy, empathy, though, too, and a couple other things. Like, right. like, can you make something? I mean, I don't know about how empathy ties into it, but can you make something that's very smart, uh, human-level smart, without being conscious? And that's always, like, an interesting question, right? Like, can you have essentially one of these zombies that, like, doesn't have the lights on inside of its brain in this, in this like, sort of soul context? I mean, obviously, when we say soul, it sounds all religious, but I think what we really mean like that is like sort of this uh, this experience of this qualitative feeling of consciousness, right? That would right. make it deserving of our, uh, you know, respect and uh, ethical treatment. Right, right, right. And um, yeah, and is it something that emerges, a property that emerges from the increasingly smart and complex brain or substrate? Or is it something discrete? Uh, like they're supposing in this story where uh, it's like you can make something that has almost all those characteristics but isn't quite human level and then they can discreetly locate that which we used to call a soul or whatever as this thing with quantum property. Right. In in real life, maybe it's like a particular like subroutine uh, where, it you know, it can like sort of look at itself, right, in a self-reflexive fashion. And that's what like the magic ingredient of consciousness is right. We don't really have the answers to this. Right. Um, or um, it's possible there is no magic ingredient. Of course it's possible. It's just like an emergent property. Right. In other words, if, yeah, that's the supposition. The supposition that's being made by this piece is, is that it is a, not just a concrete thing, but like a concrete thing that we can scientifically detect and manufacture, which is kind of cool. And I think those are actually like the two major branches in like with artificial life and sci-fi, right? There's like the yep. theory that like, if you just keep making Alexa, smarter and smarter and smarter, yeah. then whether you were trying to make Alexa conscious or not, doesn't matter. Alexa will just sort of become conscious. Right. Right. And then there's this other branch of sci-fi where it's like, no, you have to like at some point inject a soul or do something very special that will actually make this thing that even if it's very smart, it isn't technically conscious until you do add that extra ingredient. Right. Right. But what about this issue of human animal hybrids? Is there any future to that? Well, uh, that's interesting because it's not, made super clear in the story exactly why they've chosen pigs particularly i'm assuming it's just because they're like close close-ish to humans compared mm -hmm. to other animals um but when you imagine it you can quickly think of some reasons why you might want to make human pig hybrids such as perhaps making stronger humans for certain types of tasks right um perhaps i mean it's unclear how easily easy it is to like you know or I guess to make edible humans, like delicious Oh, gosh. That's not, I mean, yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good idea, though, right? There's no benefit to your food being conscious. If anything, you want to do the opposite. I mean, if you could identify like a gene variant that like normally only appears in animals that you thought would be uh, compatible with humans. And I mean, uh, we do share a lot of DNA with animals, but I mean, it's not like clear, you know, <laughs> how easy it is to make this kind of just splicing of two things together. But... Um, you know, maybe there's some variant that you could use in humans that would make humans stronger along some axis. Although it seems a lot more plausible to me that you would just find an existing human that had that, like, had a pretty good variant and just draw from, from, from that supply. Because there's so much, there's enough variety within all the humans on the planet. Yes. That I feel like that's already, like, like, why would you need to go to animals? Which, especially when you know that that may or may not work. Right. And the way that they depict the Jills and Jacks in the story is that they appear to be 
you know, relatively normal looking humans, except for the ones that look like pigs. And they all seem to be uh, employed in like a service job, (laughs) right? Selling insurance or doing tours or being the security guard or something like that. Yeah, which yeah, which brings up like the, the I th- so you don't need to be very strong. That's not like um, backbreaking farm work or something. Like you don't need to be a pig person to do any of those jobs. Uh, a human can do those jobs. Yeah, I feel like there's two issues here that are married in the show but would be separate in real life. Okay, right. The right. one is the human animal hybrid concept. Right. And the other is like breeding some sort of underclass. In right. other words, I don't think the w- I think it's possible that we would do both. I just don't think that the path to like breeding some sort of like service human is going to be literally adding animal DNA. I mean, I think that makes sense as a metaphor. Uh, okay, right. But so, I don't think right, that. Right, right. So, so it, I, yeah. it's, it's like they're livestock and it's like they're in, in these service jobs. And the metaphor is that, you know, they've, they've bred them down with domesticated animals to like make them more docile. Yeah. Like even Sue, the pig lady says, were bred not to take offense when the when the <laughs> when the human lady uh, uh, yeah offends her. <laughs> so I think I think those are actually both interesting things to talk about. But I would I would I would see them being separate. In, right. In okay. So let's split them up. Let's just talk about the question of enhancing humans with animal DNA or whatever chimeric DNA. I mean, I, I have no idea. There certainly could be uh, something fruitful down that path. Um, it doesn't seem like the first place you would look to enhance humans. I agree. It does not seem like the first avenue. So you would definitely want to max out variety among humans first. And then I would assume any second order variety would come from other primates, I would think. Right? seems like maybe there's something in a chimpanzee, which is very close to us, that might would help us. But how likely, you know, a pig is definitely further away. Now, I mean, making hybrids is like an interesting path for science to go down it would i mean you could probably learn a lot i think people would be very squeamish about doing this with humans at all so i think we'd be much more apt to see people like you know genetic combinations of two animals so right so that's kind of like the uh uh designer pets idea that we have in our uh graphic novel yeah and i also i mean the market for that is i think much more obvious right i mean if you can make a you know a flying chihuahua bat or <laughs> on the more extreme side, or yeah, a, uh, a, a, a walkable dog-sized elephant or something like that. Especially one that was like very, very well tempered and like easy to get along with. Smelled good. Yeah, farts lilacs. Now, is that better than just having like uh, like a robot pet? I think probably. Yeah, I think it is along some axes. I mean, part of pet value is like warmness, fuzziness. Now, what about something that we do today, right? Because dog breeding is like very prevalent and we do quite a, we get quite a lot of variation out of dogs just through using standard breeding methods, right? Yes. Even if, if you just even brought like, you know, more greater understanding of genetic engineering to dogs, I mean, what could you do there? I would imagine you might be able to like, you know, because right now like the breeds are, it's a little bit crude, right? I mean, most breeds have some drawback or problem. Sure. Uh, and you know, like we're sort of, we have the breeds we have. I don't know. I don't feel like new dog breeds come along that often. I mean, oh, sure. And now there's, I mean, this, there's combos, but there's these, right. The new dog breeds these days are mostly, um, two dog breed combos that have become now a new breed, like, uh, that are now popular you know, golden doodles or something like that. Right. It's like, Oh, like this mix works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's happening on like this sort of like very rough level. It's not like, Oh, if we could take the temperament of this breed 
and like the coat color of this breed and like very surgically put them together. I think that's what they try to do. But yeah, the, the tools are accrued for this because they're just using dogs and, and, you know, a certain amount of culling and otherwise it's just reproduction, you know? Yeah. That, that feels like a, a near future prediction. That's like a pretty good one. Genetic dog show. Now, do you think there's like enough money in this to like pursue it? I mean, that's the other thing, like, right? Like probably there's a lot of money in dogs. Where would there be the most money in terms of hybrid animals? I mean, I guess you could try to, I mean, we don't really use beasts of burden that often anymore. No, but I think, uh, food, you know, food, food providing farm animals. Right. Well, Um, we already have, again, heavily breed, uh, and it's to some extent genetically engineer like our farm animals, but it's just like, again, it's not as surgical as it could be. Right. Yeah. We could imagine breeding, uh, animals like uh, cows and pigs and chickens to be, you know, very docile to be, um, uh, disease resistant to be able to, uh, withstand, terrible quarters um and uh to of course make more meat now there are, there are some things like this now right like i uh i i may want need to look this up to remind myself but i know with it with i think with goats they've genetically modified goats to like produce oh pull up the genetically modified goats i don't know about this um i i think to produce actual drugs cool yeah okay so i, I found what i'm thinking of i don't uh but yeah atrin is like sort of the brand name of uh this like FDA approved drug, uh, which is produced by these genetically modified goats. So they normally would produce like antithrombin, but they've been modified to produce a human variation of that, that then they can extract from the goat's milk. So the goats are sort of aid in the production of this drug. So they are already had some pathway where they were producing something similar and by altering it, they made it the human version that we can use. Yeah, so it's not like, cool. you know. Cool. Yeah, but that's like a good first step to like, you. that's the kind of thing I would expect. And generally, I would expect this stuff to be used to enhance, you know, the lives of humans uh, rather than whether that's to create drugs or create, you know, artificial organs. Like the, there is one line in the show, oh, a lot of normals have porcine uh, organs these days or something like that. Porcine hearts Porcine specifically. Hearts. Right. So like they're, do, they're using them to grow organs that can get uh, donated. Um, and that makes sense to me. Well, the best case would be to grow the organs without a body at all. Right. But maybe a, an animal host or something is, is necessary. I'm not sure about that. As an in-between step, if we haven't designed a way to do it in a lab. Let's jump into this other thing because uh, it's just so weird to design an underclass on purpose. It seems like to me... <laughs> The more likely thing is you might design an overclass on purpose and the regulars might end up an underclass as a de facto result of that. But isn't it much more likely that we'll use these sort of technologies, whether or not it's Chimera, just any kind of genetic engineering technology, isn't it seem much more likely that we'll use it to like enhance humans? Maybe that means that richer humans or humans with better access to this stuff, you know, somehow rise above. But doesn't seem that likely that we would on purpose be like, let's design people to be below us. Yeah, it seems hard to think about how exactly you get there. So let's say you identify certain traits that make people more docile and easy to control. Right. Right. And you could see elite interests of people in power conceivably wanting this. Right. Sure. Um, Although... Again, like this is a slower time frame, right? We're impacting people that are being born now, right? So that in a generation, people are more docile. So this requires sort of a sort of forward thinking uh, set of uh, right. maniacal rich people right, right. that uh, want to guarantee this underclass. Right. That's the thing is it's not going to help 
today's dictator stay in power. It's going to help, you know, today's dictator's grandson. And I think dictators tend to be pretty here and now, like, how can I stay in power in this moment and, like, crush my opponents? Um, so you, you have to be forward thinking, which they could be, you know, they've got sons or whatever. They're going to take power when they're, when they die. Right. Um, so, and then, and then you have to convince people to, or I, or I guess you just do it forcefully. I mean, if you, if you have total fascist control as in many of these dystopian stories, I suppose you could like, you know, genetically ear engineer the entire next generation, or at least a fragment of the next generation to, to fill this role. Right, an just, underclass yeah. worth. It just seems unlikely. Yeah, like you said, it just seems like it would be easier to uh, maybe make upgrades expensive. Right. Uh, maybe they're naturally going to be expensive anyways. It doesn't require much explanation. I mean, new technologies are often expensive right. to make sure that uh, you know the rich kids get the upgrades and the poor kids don't. Uh, and then just use like your sort of traditional means of control. You know the carrot and the stick, right? You yeah. know you get like the you got the boot in the face uh, if if you don't obey, and you get the, you know the nice entertainment and the the TV and the you know the modern luxuries if you if you play along with the system, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, breeding an underclass seems like a stretch to me. It just doesn't. I mean, even evil people, I think, don't think of themselves as evil enough to consciously breed an underclass. I think you could definitely end up with one by mistake. Uh, there's a number of ways that that could happen. And I think the way they're kind of hand-waving it in this story is that like, for whatever reason they were engineered in a, before these quantum consciousness were around. And so all these ideas that Jill's and Jack's are less than normals are actually outdated ideas in that world that used to be true, but aren't true anymore. And what we're seeing is, I think it's a metaphor for like, you know, civil rights, stuff like that. We're seeing people get over their outdated views, but slowly Right. So, I mean, I kind of buy that element of it, but it's still it's like some people stood around and they were like, hey, it's really great that, you know, pig DNA makes these docile, unconscious humanoids. Let's make a ton of them. Right. And then they'll just be like, it'll just be like in the old days when we used to have slaves, except we'll be more morally justified or something. I mean, somebody said that somewhere. Right. And that just feels so weird to me. I feel like I can't imagine a world where where that really happened and and no one raised their hand and said, this seems like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But I but I do think that it's quite possible that we essentially just, again, have an underclass by virtue of the fact that some people are not um, getting the benefits of the new technology. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, like you said at the beginning. I mean, I think that's the more plausible scenario but in that case the normals are the underclass and the enhanced are the upper class basically like you said it's a new overclass right right so yeah i think that's that's about all i can extract out of this episode in terms of speculation fair enough it's pretty weird (laughs) i liked it i it was one of my favorite of this series and uh yeah the series is really uneven because each one is directed and written by different people um but they're all based on on Philip K. Dick stories, which are great source material for this stuff because he uh, was so prescient about so many things, and he's also just so deeply weird and like will just do crazy, wild, inexplicable things. Um, well, and these really, I, I've the episodes that I've seen, I haven't seen all of them, uh, do a really good job of capturing the Philip K. Dick feel, which is very specific. And uh, many of the like bigger budget Philip K. Dick movies that you've seen may have their merits but they don't actually have the feeling of 
the books. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, maybe Total Recall comes the closest. But yeah. but yeah, I think you're right. Like Minority Report and Blade Runner are great movies, but they don't really feel like Dick. They're so serious. And, and Minority Report's so Spielberg-y in so many ways. The, the Electric Dream series does vary, but this one in particular, uh, Crazy Diamond, I think the one that was the most Dick-like in tone. It just it felt so bizarre and was so like kind of off kilter and fun uh, while at the same time being full of dread and decay. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. At the end, it was a little too vague on some of the details for me. Mm-hmm. Like some of the acting, that's like a little stilted. Some of it, some of it plays as like sort of like weird and dreamlike and like you know Lynchian, but uh, some of it just felt like weak acting. So yeah, throughout the series, I think the principals are good, and the uh, and the non-principal actors are sometimes not good. That's a problem I think throughout. But anyways, that's uh, that's Crazy Diamond. Thanks for listening. So until next time. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And you've been listening to Review the Future. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.